Well, hello there, and welcome back to Special Features, the podcast that brings you behind-the-scenes audio commentary for filmmakers and movie buffs alike. I am your humble host, Scott Lentz, and boy are you guys in for a treat this week. My guest for the next installment of Creative Conversations has been a close friend and collaborator for the last decade or so. He's an award-winning writer, director, and editor, and he's just the worst. I don't really know what else to say. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Andrew York Bailey. Perhaps the greatest thing about being a filmmaker is the chance to work with and get to know all different kinds of people. Collaboration is how films go from being a vague idea in someone's head to a real thing you can watch on screen. Writers need people to workshop their scripts, directors need producers and crew to get things done, and of course you need actors to bring your characters to life. So unless your passion is making films about birds on your own, and hey, live your dream, we all need people to help us along the way. And that's what Andrew's been for me. We met way back in college when he was a freshman and I was a senior. A couple years prior, I had an ill-fated attempt to start a film club on campus and it never really went anywhere. So when Andrew arrived, he inquired about joining and just showed up in my dorm room in a bathrobe about nine feet tall. It was a rocky start in the beginning, with both of us wanting to write and direct and few resources to go around. Collaboration isn't always easy, but we worked through it and eventually produced our first short film, a noir murder mystery called The Wall Murders, which I actually acted in. We screened it for a group of about 200 students, faculty, and family, which was a big deal for a bunch of first-time filmmakers, and through the years we've always been a part of each other's projects. If I was writing and directing, he was producing and acting as DP, and I did the same for him. Having someone like Andrew, among others, has been huge for my career. So one of the first calls I made when I started this podcast was to this beanstalk, and he couldn't wait to come on the show. He's now married with two kids and lives in Pittsburgh, and he's probably wearing that same bathrobe while he's doing this interview. So here's take two on Creative Conversations, Andrew Bailey style. All right, Andrew. Welcome to uh, welcome to Special Features. Thank you. Glad to be here, man. Andrew, 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 you beautiful idiot. <laughs> Scott, let me tell you something. So, coming up this August, we will have known each other for eleven years, which is just crazy to me. So it's like that's a third of our lives. And, I know. Uh, <laughs> Speaking, it's literally a third of mine. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of, of nostalgia, over the weekend, I, I had the pleasure of revisiting the location where we shot Paul Murders, and we're walking all over Grings Mill, just revisiting all the places we shot, and I'm walking there with Rob, and he points out, and he's like, oh, look, it's the bird tree. I'm like, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? The bird tree? What is the bird tree? Like, aren't all trees bird trees? And he's like, no, it's that's the giant tree. tree where all the birds flew out. I know exactly what he's talking okay, about. So you know what he's talking about. I have no idea what he's talking about. No, there's like, this behind the scenes footage that we have of Bert running up to the tree and squawking at it as loud as he can. You don't remember that? I know. And- I remember now that you, but I don't remember it being called the bird tree. Like that just seems such like a basic designation. <laughs> Or a tree. So yeah, he explains it, and he's like, "That's where I went, call," and, and he kicked it. 
trying to get that shot of the birds fly. Did we ever get that? No, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing actually happened. So, (laughs) but it's the bird tree. So I, we we saw it. It, It's still there. Um, But the, uh, the tree that he stood at when you guys did that cheesy Wolverine skit. Yeah. uh, That's gone. No way. It's gone. It's a stump. I thought so, that. I mean, I thought that was like a park. I didn't think they could touch anything. Well, no, it's a park, but it, I mean, it might have fallen in like a storm or something because it didn't look like it was taken down on purpose. Let me just wild. put it that way. Right. It was. It was not good. But it's. It's out of here. So that's a little piece of movie history that's gone. <laughs> the Wolverine prequel is is out of here. <laughs> so, uh, as a fun little trip down memory lane, I still remember the shaggy-haired kid that's about nine feet tall that came into my dorm room my senior year and was like hi i'm andrew do you <laughs> want right. to make films with me I was like yeah it's fine i was a bright-eyed bushy-tailed 18 year old freshman Mm-hmm. yeah you were and now you're a father of two. Oh man we're getting old but uh <laughs> so uh I- i'm glad to have you here i i you know, love talking to my friends about that. I love talking to people that I don't know and getting to know them there, but I always like talking to my friends too and finding out what's new in, uh, in the world of filmmaking. So, uh, I guess we'll kind of start back at the beginning. You know, when I met you, you were a, a Gus Van Saint fan. That was kind of one of your influences. So, majorly. you know, yeah. majorly. So is, is was, who else like that really got you into what was the spark that was like, Oh man, I want to make films. Well, I mean, you, I, I can't talk about films without mentioning Christopher Nolan. I mean, Christopher Nolan um, is my biggest influence. I mean, um, when you're talking about the, the movies he's made, um, both from like a box office success standpoint and the content of the movies, like uh, you and me both. I mean, we bond over this constantly. Um, and in 2012, I had the chance to work on the dark Knight rises and just being like 30 feet away from this man. You know what I mean? Like it just just sent shivers down my spine. You could Um, smell his musk. (laughs) Um, you know, other directors include Warner Herzog, um, Bennett Miller, um, you know, Nicholas winning ref. And I mean, those are the big ones. Those are the guys that yeah, yeah. Um, I keep going back to their stuff and, you know, it's movies like, uh, the dark Knight and, uh, spotlight and Moneyball and <clears throat> drive and movies like that, that just, you know, the aesthetics of them and what the story is trying to portray, um, is my inspiration. Oh yeah. So you're more of a story kind of guy. Cause I think everybody it's, it's like a different part of filmmaking that, influences some people because some people just really love the visual aspect of it and they just you know or they love special effects or they love writing like what part of it was really the first you know if you had to pick like one part of filmmaking what was the first thing that you wanted to do well i would say a genre that i just love is drama so it's the you know the story and the characters working together and just the emotion um that an actor can portray in a particular scene um that really, you know, drives me. Right. So you always wanted to direct like dramatic type films. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and you know, when we first met, you know, I'm known for being like this fun loving, you know, eccentric, 
you know, nonchalant guy, you know, but, <laughs> but what interests me most is being able to direct, um, you know, like really emotional scenes, you know, really bringing that out of an actor. It really is such like a contrast to your personality because you were like this goofball kid that was, <laughs> that was 18, but then you're trying right. to direct like these really, really dramatic scenes. And it's, um, just, it's kind of interesting because you would think people would like to try to emulate their own personalities. Sure. Uh, and sure. just if you're a goofy person, you want to make goofy movies, but you know, you're, you're, uh, you buck the trend. Well, I guess shows I'm deep. You're just deep. Like deep. so, <laughs> so deep. I mean, if, for instance, like look at the three movies Bennett Miller made has made, right. right. Capote, Moneyball, and, um, and, uh, Foxcatcher. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you just look at how intense those movies are and how he really takes actors that um, are known for comedic performances like right. Steve Carell um, and just Jonah Hill. You know, yeah. Jonah Hill. Right. And just brings in Catherine Keener and just brings out these performances in them that are spectacular. Yeah. I remember hearing uh, about how he got involved with Steve Carell for the part because Steve wasn't going to take it. He didn't think it was right for it. And they had lunch or breakfast or brunch or whatever. And they talked about it and, uh, you know, Bennett kind of talked him into it and, uh, he didn't know how he was going to do doing these dramatic scenes. So the trick that he used with him was he said, write on a piece of paper, your most deepest, darkest secret, the thing that you hate about yourself and put it in your pocket. And you're going to act every scene knowing that at any time I can come and I can take that out of your pocket and see that and know that thing. And that's what, uh, drove, uh, Steve Carell to have this performance, like just kind of a, a really guarded type of personality. And I just thought that was so interesting. Uh, and I've, I've thought about it ever since, like with directing actors, it's just such these really interesting ways that somebody like Bennett Miller can get performances out of people. It's, it's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we started out making films as a collaborative filmmaking effort and it didn't really start out so well because we both wanted to direct and, you know, we wanted to have <laughs> our names in the credits for it. So it, it, the first couple of times we tried to work together, it didn't, you know, we kind of clashed a little, Absolutely. Uh, but we figured it out, you know, like we, we started making these films uh, kind of, you know, one after the other. So we would do one for you, one for me. And, you know, the other person would just fill in the gaps on the other side. So how did that help you, you know, evolve or, or figure some things out as a young up and coming filmmaker? Well, I can remember a specific conversation that we had. Um, and this is at, even before, or I'm sorry, even after we had shot La Paul Martyrs, it was around like 2010, 2011. And, um, and you were really hungry to, to, you know, to make something again, this was after you did guys with girl problems. Um, and you talked to some people in LA and they just, you know, they recommended that, um, you make a short film, you know, you make a short film, you just, um, you know, you just do it, you write it and you make it, make a thing happen. Um, and I think that really kind of just launched, um, our, you know, our partnership going back and forth, right. Cause, um, you know, that was inspiration for me to, to start writing and, and take the things I was passionate about, um, and, and fashion these stories. And, you know, you, you're such a talented writer, you know, you had some things in your back pocket and, um, oh, shucks. You, know, <laughs> you know, as soon as, um, you know, we filmed the long goodbye, right. Um, you know, we were basically a month later, 
um, going in and making the Crimson Ranger. So I mean, yeah, just, I think we I think we we wrapped up principal photography on Long Goodbye in April, and we were filming Crimson Ranger by July. Right. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, a really short window there. Um, and you know, I was fresh out of college at that point. So, you know, really going and, and making something and just really learning about how the process works, right. Learning about film in a classroom is, is so much different, um, than actually going out and do it. And, you know, one of the things I wish that uh, we would have had more hands-on, um, you know, work on, on actual sets and, you know, like set terminology in the school. Um, you right. know, but, but from experience after, you know, working on, um, you know, films as a production assistant myself, you know, you can take some of those, uh, all the things that you like, all the aspects that are, are great about making a film and you can take it back and make your own film. And I think that was really the inspiration when we went to go make the long goodbye, right? Cause, um, neither of us had really worked on a set in that capacity. Right. Um, where it was just us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and I think we really, we set the tone with that film about how we wanted, uh, you know, a set to be professional and, and you know, there was a lot of planning that went in, into that movie that we really piggybacked and we took into our next films. Yeah. And then you kind of had like a different, uh, you know, path into, into that point where we kind of were like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make these short films kind of one after the other. Cause yeah. you went, you studied film, in school, I didn't, you know, I, I got a business degree cause I just wanted something that was transferable across, you know, multiple channels, but you actually went to film school and then you worked on films as a production assistant. I remember you working one summer on affluenza driving around Steve Gutenberg. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, at, at, do you think that was there a point there that, that changed, you know, where you were working as a PA where like, I want to do this differently? Well, I mean, you always you have that those stories of uh, of working with directors, you know, you, and you pretty much know, like if a director is great or if a director, you know, is not doing the best job, um, you know, I don't want to name drop or anything, but you know, you you kind of figure out what kind of so, what kind of tone you want to you want to set on set, you know, um, how you want the production to kind of go, and um, you know, I realized that really i didn't have to be working on big budget films um to, to be working on films and i think that was a big part of it and there's a lot of other aspects that go into that um you know but really you don't have to be working for the man to to be making some great content yeah and and you mentioned that uh conversation i had with uh, producers out in la that inspired us to start that short film journey and, and their biggest point that spoke to me was look your first few films that you make, you're going to do things that you're not, you don't like, you know, you're going to have a lot of learning experiences. So make your uh, productions as small as possible to minimize your risk. Cause you don't want to go in and make a feature film and put in a lot of money and time and effort and then walk away saying, man, I wish I would have done everything differently. So just make something tiny that you can learn from and then you can move into the next thing and, and actually apply the things that you learn. Cause if you make a feature film and you don't get out of it, what you thought you may never make another film after that. Cause it can be that discouraging on that end. So it, it was such a, a huge um, like awakening point for me. And I think you kind of had that same uh, feeling. I mean, bingo. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, and I, I'm sure you can speak this a little bit more, you know, but just imagine if we would have, uh, if you would have tried to make, 
acoustic hearts, you know, just straight out of the, the gun, yeah, right? No, would have been, it no, would have been not possible. Crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, we took we took uh, actors that we knew from past projects. We took locations that we had um, secured from past projects, and you know, we used some of that same stuff. You know, you build your you build those contacts and those important people that that support you, and um, and they helped got get uh, acoustic hearts made for sure. I mean, we met some great crew along the way. You know, we met Doug. <laughs> and Doug is is a big part of this. Though the, they'll meet him. Doug is a friend of the pod. They'll meet him a little bit later here. But uh, yeah, I mean, we never would have uh, had those relationships had we not done it this way, right. uh, which is really cool. Do you think that? I mean, I kind of feel this way because I had influences when I first started, and you did too. You talked about them earlier. Do you feel like you have some new influences now that you've been through the ringer a few times and, and have that experience that you might appreciate a certain type of, not that you don't like dramas anymore, but is it something new that's come along being like, I really, I dig what this guy's doing. Well, I don't know if I have a particular, I mean, there's so many, right. But I mean, I think, sure. uh, something you brought up in past podcasts, um, are, it's just the advent of like streaming services, right. Netflix, and Hulu, um, and even like TV programs that are just making uh, like cinematic um, series right now, like FX, you know what I mean? Like just thing, people that are taking the status quo, like what a movie can be, and they're kind of turning it on their head. I mean, I think that FX is doing some of the, the best work on TV right now, um, making cinematic um, pieces. Um, I'm watching a show called Trust right now. Um, I just finished up watching the assassination of uh, Gianni Versace, which um, mm-hmm. just shows that are cinematic. So I mean, the, you know, right now that's what I'm watching. You know, uh, on Netflix there is it's um, like a mini series, so it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a little exactly. too long to be it's a little too long to be one movie that isn't Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and so you got to kind of cut it up into a few episodes, but it has a beginning, middle and end. Like, it's not like we're going to leave a cliffhanger and oh no, Absolutely. OJ's and I mean, loose. I think that is, I think that's the future. And I, I don't think this is exactly the question you're asking, but I mean, I think that is the future of cinema where you have a platform like a Netflix where you can drop 10 episodes at one time. And you can really tell the story that has, um, has a longer arc than, than a regular movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm interested in that kind of stuff as well. It's it, it, it really is kind of like a new, you didn't get that a whole lot back then. Uh, we, we really were, are in the golden age of TV. I mean, it's uh, golden age, but then there's so much, like I was talking to Doug yesterday right. about, you know, we like those series too, but there's so many of them. Right. And you just, you know, browse Hulu and you see the Hulu original series and you just see, you know, 50 different shows that all have, you know, seven, eight hours worth of content that, you know, one person does not have time to watch them all. So it's the opportunities are there, but it's, there's so much that, you know, it, it's hard to, to get to that point. And the quality um, is so good. I mean, just everything oh, you know, yeah. across all of those platforms. It's top notch, some top notch stuff. Um, <laughs> so switching <laughs> gears a little bit, I, I, I have, you and I are similar in that, we both edit our own movies and that was always something I was taught not to do. So are we calling bullshit on that? I mean, absolutely. I mean, as a director, don't you want complete creative control? I mean, when, when you, you know, I think another person in the editing room, um, when you can have it, 
like it, it would be. Um, yeah, I think it's good to have somebody there to bounce off of, you know, and I, and we've done this on, you know, the long goodbye, because I think the downfall of it is as a director, you fall in love with a particular shot that might not work. Sure. But you love it so much that you don't want to get rid of it. You have to have somebody else. And, and I we went through this in, in both Long Goodbye and Disposable where I was like, that's not working. But you love right. the shot so much that you fought for it. And I got to, you know, talk you down and be like, it, it, it don't work. Sure. Right. We leveraged each other to, to be that other person. Right. To to be that voice of reason for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a trust factor in there. And I, I think it's I think it's important because knowing what you're going to do. And I feel like this now that I do some more like commercial um, videos where knowing how you're going to edit something helps you figure out how you're going to shoot it. And it's really important as a director because you don't want to just shoot random stuff and then get to the editing room and be like, or have your editor, if it's somebody else, be like, well, this isn't really cutting together very well. Right. You want to have that experience and have that knowledge, be like, I know exactly how I'm going to cut that together uh, in order to get the best possible shots. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So we'll talk about disposable and then, you know, a little bit later we'll, we'll do some, some commentary on it. Yeah. Um, you know, walk me through where did, where did disposable come from in, in the old noggin up there? Well, disposable, I wrote, well, I started to write disposable at a time where, um, you know, I had moved away from my hometown. I was living with my parents at the time. It was, um, right after I graduated college, um, you know, and I was getting set to, to move somewhere. Right. It was, it was yeah, right be... when I was le- moving to Lancaster. <laughs> I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I think we're going to be moving to Lancaster soon. Oh, that's great. I'm moving away from Lancaster. <laughs> you know, I, I had set to make the jump. I was going to move to, um, you know, I was going to move to New York. I was going to move to a hub where, um, you know, I could really focus on film. Um, and it was just kind of the struggles, with the long distance, long distance relationship with my then girlfriend, now wife, um, Melissa, you know, and just, you know, the, the fights that you have and the, the issues with dealing with the long distance relationship and, um, you know, things of that nature. So, yeah. And that's um, where it all came from. I don't we're not getting into spoilers or anything, you know, but just, um, you know, I am a person who loves, thrillers and loves twists and um right and that you know that's and that ended up being where the story went and from inception to you know what the final product looks like i mean it was totally totally different right i mean the first draft of, of disposable uh, who the heck even knows what it was called right it was like uh it was like a couple camping in the woods right which is total a totally different concept yeah from where we ended um, you know, yeah, I remember the first draft you sent me was uh, completely different from yeah. what we ended up with. Yeah, and, you know, I, I leveraged you as as you know a person who is great with dialogue and and great with story. Um, you know, and I remember late phone late night phone calls for both Long Goodbye and Disposable with us just hashing out. You sent me garbage, story. and I come up with <laughs> I come up with diamonds. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I've always thought you came up with uh, solid ideas that just kind of need a little bit of fleshing out and that going back to that collaboration with somebody who's, you know, not just a writer, but also a filmmaker. Um, I can understand what you're going for, you know, as you send me a script and just kind of help you get there. Yeah. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I want you to, I want you to tell the story uh, about how you cast, or how I guess how we cast Dave Polgar. Yeah. In that movie. Well, you alluded to it in the in just this last podcast episode, but yes, I would love yes, to which everybody should listen detail. to before listening to this podcast, or else you're not going <laughs> to understand what we're talking about. Um, so it was um, when we were casting the Scott, your movie, The Crimson Ranger. Um, I remember we had we had uh, we got like this conference room in the Loyola Library, right? So people were coming from from all over. I think. Uh, a couple of people drove in from Philly and, um, and we were casting people for the main superhero role in your movie. So it was like this, um, you know, over the top, almost caricature, um, role of the Crimson Ranger and, you know, this guy who looked like he was about 40 came in um, named Dave Polgar. And he, I don't even remember how that Crimson Ranger audition went. Do you? Uh, well, he didn't look the part, you know, <laughs> the part was a, the dorky, uh, you know, comic book nerd kind of person. And he's just, you know, this kind of like, you know, didn't he read for the Crimson Ranger? Like the actual no, Crimson Ranger no, we, no, I remember we thought that after he left because okay. we had all, we had already <laughs> we had already cast the Crimson Ranger, so right, we were right. gonna like take that away. So you know we That's thought right. like he's totally not the part for for Ronnie, but um, right. he would have made a good Crimson Ranger. So we were both like, ah, oh well. But right. I mean, to his credit, you know, even though he didn't fit the part, he came out anyway, and that's the moral right. of the story. So right, yeah. and, then, and then fast forward to to a year later when we're writing Disposable and we're starting to cast for it. Um, I always remember one thing that he said, like when we were auditioning him. You know, he's like, you know, I'm I'm willing to travel, I'm willing to do anything. You know, like I'm I'm always available. Like, you know, just give me a call, right? Um, so just right. his willingness to to really go all out for the production really stuck with me. Um, you know, so I, I called Dave back a year later and, you know, I auditioned probably three people, um, three, three, three to five people. And really that particular role, um, was fit for him, you know, so it kind of just, it worked out. Right. Yeah. So like, because we kept in contact with him, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any story that I tell more. Than that one. Uh, to anybody of just you know opportunities they don't you don't know what's going to happen just put yourself out right. there and right. it never like if he would have never come out for an audition that he drove like 45 minutes for right. uh to a part he wasn't right for you know he never would have gotten the next gig and you know i've seen him in other stuff since then he's done some plays he's done some commercial acting so you know it worked out for him and that's that's great so it's a, it's just right. a great uh, uh, lesson to be learned there. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being here. Any any parting uh, parting gifts for for our listeners? Well, I appreciate you having me on. I'm hoping that that me and, uh, and Rob can can do a podcast here in the future, and um, I look forward to seeing you soon. Nick. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Um, anything you want to plug before you go? Well, I am currently working on a movie. Um, it is about a 
uh, a poor janitor who, you know, walks around on a college campus at night and, uh, and fills out blank chalkboards, you know, with math problems. And yeah, it's going to be great. Really? <laughs> no, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> you know who would be good for that film? I think that Damon character He's really, really unknown, but I think he might be good for that. Crazy. <laughs> All right. Podcast over. I don't want to say it's always great talking to Andrew, but this was pretty awesome. I'm honestly amazed that our conversation did not devolve into obscure and incoherent Batman quotes as we usually do. Maybe next time. There's more to come with Andrew as we also did a little audio commentary for his short film Disposable, where we dig a little deeper into how we made that movie happen. If you want to check out the film beforehand or watch during the commentary, I'll post a link in the description. Andrew was also my executive producer for Acoustic Hearts, which the real special features fans know is my first feature film starring Greg Barr, Taylor Ray Cole, Jason Brown, Garena Grossman, Larry Gessler, and more. It would mean so very much to me if you would check it out on Amazon Prime for free. Yes, for free, just for you and anyone else who has an Amazon Prime subscription. If you like what you heard in this creative conversation, be sure to check out previous episodes for more movie fun. And if you still like what you heard, please take just a few seconds, that's all it takes, to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever. That's how we grow and reach new people across the globe. And as always, thank you so much for listening. I hope the bromance between Andrew and I has inspired you to go out there and make some friends, rent or borrow a camera, and go make some short films. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.